Good evening everybody, it's Claire Maxed here, Wild Ginger Running YouTube channel, and I am delighted to say that I am here live tonight with coach and author of Fast After 50, it's Joe Friel everybody. Welcome Joe. how are you doing? Hi Claire, I'm doing very well, thank you. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Um, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us here tonight. Um, we've got tons of questions um, from patrons who are the loyal supporters of my channel, so they've all sent in questions. Um, but first, I just want to do a plug for your book, which is called Fast After 50. I'm just going to put a thing on the screen just there. Um, so yeah, do you want to just uh, tell us a little bit about the book and what made you write it um, and a little bit about just yourself uh, to set the scene? Sure. Yeah, there was uh, there were two things going on in my life. This is a few years ago. One was um, my son was just about to turn 50, and uh, he'd been an athlete all of his life. Still, and still was at that point. In fact, still is to this day. Uh, very good athlete. Uh, he braced as a pro cyclist in Europe back in the. Um, Early late 80s, early 90s, uh, raced against Lance Armstrong and the big the big names that you're very uh, that people might be aware of in road cycling. Uh, then he came back to the U.S. in the late um, late 90s and became a coach in my coaching business and uh, continued to race as a pro. That lasted racing as a pro until his daughter was born about 2003. He became a father. So he had to cut back on all the travel to races and start becoming more serious about making some money. <laughs> and so long story short, he was about to turn 50. And so I'm, I'm thinking about him on one side. He's about to turn 50 and I'm about to turn 70. At, at, we're going to be roughly about the same time, a couple of years apart between those, but we're going to be roughly the same time. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking from him, his perspective first, what would I tell him if I wanted to help him? continue his career as an athlete after age 50 and what would I tell myself who's about to become 70 in terms of what I what, what I might know what I might be finding out what I, I hope to find out about about training for aging athletes so I started doing research uh, I was overwhelmed with the amount of research available on this topic um, and uh, so I started posting stuff on my blog that I was seeing People would, would go to my blog and read it, and they would make um, positive comments, and they were say they were learning a lot. And so, some people suggest I write a book about it, and so I, I did. You just showed the book, and that came out now about oh about four or five years ago. And um, so uh, that's how the book came about. Was kind of like the conjunction of my my son turning 50 and me turning 70, and wanting to help us both kind of see the future. For our, for our own training as, as athletes. Can I just say, Joe, you look amazing for, you just told me before we came live, you are 76 years old, which is just amazing right. because I presumed that because you had written this book and I received it at Trail Running Magazine about five years ago, I just presumed that you were about 55 and all of the pictures that I've seen of you and looking at you right now, like if you told me you were 55, I would be like, brilliant. <laughs> He's 55. So <laughs> I wrote a book on the same subject back when I was 50, or about just a couple of years after I turned 50. I wrote a book called in the 1990s called uh, Cycling Past 50. And uh, at that time, I, I tried to do the same thing, but there wasn't any research available on aging athletes back in the 90s. So when I came back, you know, whatever it was, uh, 15 years later to write this book. Went back and started looking at the research again, and now I was overwhelmed with research. I, I read research for six months every day. I was reading research on aging athletes, so there was just it was amazing the difference between the 90s and the 2010s. What had happened with the research on this topic? So um, it's a much better book now than the original book was. The original book was just my opinions. <laughs> now I'm looking at really what science science is telling us. Yeah, it's fantastic that there's all that research nowadays, I'm presuming because the people who were doing the sports got a bit older and they just wanted to know about all this stuff. Is is that right? The baby boomers got, got well, older? Yeah, it really is about the baby boomers. The baby boomers in the, in the 90s uh, weren't quite to the, they were just in their 50s, early, late, mid to late 50s. And so there weren't, weren't very many people who were aging athletes. There were a lot of aging people. But aging athletes just weren't very common back then. 
But you give it 15 years later, now these baby boomers have be moved into their 60s. So now we've got a gigantic number of people to, uh, to use as guinea pigs and to punch and prod and take blood samples from and so forth and to draw conclusions about what happens. And so the thing came about because so many people are, uh, are, are of that age now. Well, I think it's very laudable that it's full of science, but just looking at you right now, age 76, I think you're living proof of how this book can work wonders. So um, we're going to, I'm just going to give you a little flavor of who's watching here because we've got loads of people watching here live tonight and we're going to get into some questions just in a moment. Um, I have, if you are, if you are over 50 or you're approaching your 50 or you know somebody who's approaching their 50s um, and you think they could do with this book to uh, dispel the doom and gloom that a lot of people um, uh, feel about this kind of age um, then I have put links to this both in the UK and America in the uh, film description below and also this will come out as a podcast later on tonight and it will be in the show notes for that as well so do check out Joe's book and so Joe for everybody um, for you just to have a little flavor of everybody who's listening Nigel Barnett says hello hello Joe looking forward to this one um, Stuart Newbury who messaged me earlier actually he said he's seen you talk at a triathlon thing before and he he says you're really fantastic and it's going to be a great evening um philip haddock says hello um and hello everyone watching um joe uh, joe john gardner says hello young people um john airy says evening everyone um ernesto glez says uh watching you from ensenada that's fantastic um robin townsend's here chris williams is here and um uh, yeah, that's uh, everybody who's written a comment there. So fantastic, thank you. And if you want to ask Joe a question, then um, then fire away. Um, Bob Barr's already asking, hi, how about over 60? I think we'll cover that, Bob, in, in the course of the general conversation. <laughs> Glenn Morris is also here, he says, I, there's a slight delay on us speaking and people hearing it. So everybody's now gonna, gonna write in their shout outs and say hi. <laughs> um, but the first question I have for you, Joe, about um, aging and performance um, is from Becky McCoy, one of my patrons. Um, she wants to know if you have um, any advice uh, to those who are a bit younger, like 20s to 30s, to help them sustain a good, healthy relationship with running for the years to come? So what can we be doing now if we're not 50 um, to sort of prepare for being fast after we're 50 still? Uh, probably the best thing, Becky, is to uh, get as good a shape as you can get in now uh, and then maintain that. Because that, what's going to happen is as you as you get older, things begin to change slowly at first, more rapidly later on. But there's, for, for example, if you just take one physiological measurement that everybody's familiar with, VO2 max, aerobic capacity, uh, which is one of the big three in terms of what fitness is all about for endurance athletes. Um, probably sometime in your 30s, almost everybody in their 30s is going to experience a very slight drop in their VO2 max. It'll be very minor at first, but as time goes on, that slope becomes a, just a little bit steeper. Um, for example, when I was in my uh, my late 40s, or, or I'm sorry, late 30s, around 40 years of age, I was tested my VO2 max at that time was um, 64, 65, mid 60s which is okay, nothing great. And then uh, now my VO2 max is, I'm 76 years old, so now we're talking about 36 years later, and my VO2 max is around low 40s. So it's gone from mid 60s to low 40s over the course of roughly 26 years, 25 years we'll say. That's not unusual. That, that happens to all of us, it, it just continues to drop. And I can guarantee you, I haven't stopped training in all this time. I'm still doing much the same workouts I was doing then. You just can't stop it from going down. So the best thing you can do is get as high as you can when you're young, 20s, 30s, because it is going to go down and you can kind of keep it at bay, keep it from dropping too fast by continuing the same types of workouts. In other words, you build a lifestyle and you stay with that lifestyle the rest of your life, essentially. 
You don't decide, okay, when I turn 50, I'm going to quit exercising. That's the end of it. Because if you do that, it goes this way, VO2 max, and all the others go straight down. But if you keep on exercising, in fact, I talk about that in the book, the research that shows this happens. And so we can, we can keep it going at a really slow rate of decline over the years as you get older, but you want to get as high as you can to start out with. So you don't. So you're, you're probably not going to turn it around. You may turn it around temporarily, for a few months, perhaps. If you've been kind of shirking your your uh, training over time, and so it's dropped precipitously because of that, you can probably get to go back up again once you turn 50, if you've been in that situation. But then again, it's going to plateau and start going down again. But it more than likely, it won't reach the same point it was at before you stopped exercising. So once you stop, there's a decline, a rapid decline. And if you start again, there'll be a slight increase in things like VO2 max, but then it'll start going down again. So we don't want that hump like this going down. We want it to be a very, very slow, gradual decline over decades as opposed to months. Yeah, so just get as high as you can while you can and, and ma then maintain the healthy lifestyle. Um, that's fantastic. And um, so we have got a few people watching who are, um, there's Bob Barr who's over 60 and there's George Jenkins as well who's over 70. Um, he says lots of us are late starters as well. So so yeah, what about people coming to running later in life? Um, is Because we've talked about maintaining it during the 20s and 30s, but what if you uh, didn't do really any exercise and then you're 70 and you just think, oh my goodness, I really should start doing something. Yeah, I would say uh, the first thing I would say is congratulations, you're making a great decision. <laughs> uh, if you decide to start running later in life or cycling or swimming or triathlon, whatever it may be, if you decide to start doing something along that line later in life, that is great. I've known many, many people who've done that. I've known some who've turned out to be extre extremely good athletes qualifying for Boston, you know, after not starting to run until they were in their 60s. Uh, and still qualifying for Boston for their age group, or qualifying in triathlon for Ironman Hawaii once they start late in life. So these things can still be, you know, at a, at a, you can still perform at a high level. You probably won't, and this is my, my opinion now, because there's no research on this, we really don't know, but you probably won't reach your potential you could have had at the later age if you started earlier in life instead of waiting until you were in your 50s or 60s or even your 70s to start. There's just going to be a steep decline, and then you're going to plateau it and bring it back up a little bit again. So you're going to get a rebound effect, but it's going to be a small rebound. And you'll, but so the good news is you're going to be much better, better off in many ways because of what you're doing by starting later in life, as opposed to doing continuing to be sedentary the rest of your life. That that's the worst thing you can do is be sedentary. Yeah, so desk jobs, no. <laughs> Get up, move around, do stuff every single day. And I know you just, you've just you just done a workout yourself, haven't you, Joe, this morning? I just got done, yeah. In fact, that's why I'm kind of looking a little bit disheveled here right now. I just got, I am went for a bike ride this morning and uh, just came back in and, and uh, didn't really have time to refresh it. So I look a little bit like I'm uh, just got, got done with the workout. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you look perfect. <laughs> it must be just something about American people. They just look oh, excellent my, my, my at all points. Well, we've got quite a few people who have been inspired to start running late in life. Um, Ray Moxon said he started running at 50. Um, he's upping his game. He just ran his first 40 miler. Um, and then he's now oh. looking at his first 100K and he's 53 now. Um, Nigel Barnett says he just turned 57 this week. Um, so, yeah, lots of older people watching which is fantastic the, the reason that I thought I'd do this and invite you on Joe is because I have a lot of patrons come to me and say Claire you always have young whippersnapper elite athletes on the show please can you just get someone in who knows a bit about us oldies <laughs> so so this is absolutely brilliant um, and we have got um, Mick Suville who is a patron of mine he wants to know um, about pushing yourself so I know you've said you've got to continue exercising, but he says, is this is it advisable to still push yourself hard if you're 50 plus and in good condition? Would Joe recommend caution on pushing yourself as much as you would when you're in your 30s? Yeah, yeah, hard is a, it's a bit of a nebulous word. 
It's hard to define what that means exactly because we have so many differences between individuals. Some people can handle, let's take an example of this. When I was in my, when I was in college, this is back in the 1960s, a heck of a long time ago, I was on the track team and my coach knew only one workout and we did it every day, five days a week. Nobody trained on the weekends back in the 60s. That was a no-no. You always had the weekend off. <laughs> but five days a week, you know, after classes, we'd go to track practice. We'd do the same workout every day. It was what I call intervals till you puke. Oh. They were just extremely hard intervals. Uh, he, he never told us what our times, how fast we should be running, or how long we're going to have to recover after each interval, or or anything else. All we did, all we knew was we were going to do them, I and we didn't know how many we were going to do. We were, going to, we were going to do them until somebody started throwing up. I always knew that. <laughs> somebody started throwing up. He, he, we'd do one or two more after that, and then he'd call it quits. That, that's enough for the day. He'd say, we, got, we might be doing eight. We might be doing 18. We had no idea how many intervals we're doing. These intervals are like 400-meter like intervals. So I did that five days a week, the entire track season, except when we had a, a track meet. Now, at 76, I could do that workout, but I can only do it once a week. <laughs> I could do the same workout once a week. It wouldn't be as fast now as I was then, but I could I could still push myself to the same relative level of discomfort and uh, eventually throw up like everybody else did. Um, but I couldn't do five days a week. So over the course of being age 20 until I'm age 70, 50 years, I've gone from being able to do five of those to be able to do probably one. I, I haven't tried it in decades. I could probably do one of those workouts now in a week. So that's kind of what happens to all of us. So uh, as you get older, the number of hard workouts you can do is going to de- be uh, somewhat decreased. Five is, a week is way too many. Our coach was not a very good coach, to be quite <laughs> frank. He's gone now, so he doesn't know what I'm talking about. But that was, that was, a, uh, that was really not good coaching. And, but back in those days, that's what everybody did. You, did, you just did whatever you did when you were an athlete. <laughs> So um, it wasn't very good coaching, but uh, what I recommend to people now is they do, if they have seven, everybody has seven days in a week. Here's what I'd recommend, is that five of those days be easy workouts. So you're a runner, so run five days a week easy. If 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 you take a day off, that's one of those five days. If you take two days off, that's two of those five days. So you just then would have three days easy left. And by easy, I mean if you're wearing a heart rate monitor, for example, give us some numbers here to talk about. Let's say that would be like zone one or low zone two. That's easy. Most people want to run in zone three. That's not easy anymore. That's moderate. So that's five days a week. You're doing something like that or taking a day off. And two days a week, you would do what I call a hard workout. Two days. So what would that be? Well, there'd be lots of possibilities. You could do hill repeats, you know, at, at a given intensity, pretty hard intensity, like a, like a zone four or even, maybe even a zone five heart rate zone based on how long the hill is and a number of other variables. Uh, you could do intervals on the track. You could. There's just all kinds of things. You could do tempo runs. There's just all kinds of things you could be doing. But I would suggest that Regardless of your age, that's a good ratio. Is, is five days easy, two days hard. If you do that, you're going to do do extremely well. Now, with these two days hard, they need to be spaced out within the week. They can't be back to back. So they ought to be separated by by 24 to 72 hours. We'll say between those two days. So like a Tuesday, Friday, Wednesday, Saturday. Something like that, so there's a big gap between them, so you have time to recover, and then you do the workout again. You may have been heard, I'm sure, by this by this point, everybody's aware of the, the 80-20 idea of training, 80% easy, 20% hard. That's pretty much what you're trying to do with five and two. You're kind of aiming for 80-20, polarized training, and that's been shown over and over and over since the early 2000s to be one of the best ways there is to train regardless of your level of ability, whether you're an elite athlete or somebody who's new to the sport, that 80-20 works out really well across the board for people becoming better athletes. 
Yeah. So you can still push yourself and yes. you should only be pushing yourself once or twice a week regardless of age. Yes, I would say two days a week, you can, you can do that for a long, long time. I know a guy who's 100, 104 years old. He broke the world's record. He's a cyclist. He, he's a Frenchman. Uh, Robert uh, Robert Marchand and Marchand Robert uh, broke the uh, world's record for his age group, which is probably not too many people in that age group anymore. But he <laughs> yeah. broke the world's record for his age group uh, on the track. In how much, how much, how many kilometers can you go on the track in one hour? So it's a one-hour race against yourself. See so you can collect who, how many kilometers he can pick up. Uh, and he did, uh, he did 17 miles. So he was going 17 miles per hour on a bike, which is pretty good. Yeah. Most people have a hard time doing 17 miles per hour. He's 104 years old. He did 17 miles per hour on on the track, and he he had improved his VO2 max. He, he broke the record when he was 100 for the 100 age age category. Oh, wow. But he improved on it when he was 105. And one of the reasons he improved on it is because he started churning 80-20. And he brought his VO2 max up by 13% from when he was 100 until he was 104. 13% improvement VO2 max, which is a lot. That's very hard for anybody to do to get a 13% improvement. So the bottom line is, there is no limit to how good you can be based on age. There's no limit. You can you can be as good as you want to be, really, quite honestly. Uh, but when I say as good as you want to be, want to be has to be within limits. Marshawn didn't think about going out there and doing 35 miles per hour on the track, which is more like what the elite athletes do, you know, 20-year-olds. But he did what he what he's capable of doing, and uh, you know, a tremendous athlete for being 105, 104 years old. Wow, that is an incredible story. I love that story. It's really inspiring. I mean, I would struggle to do 17 miles an hour for an hour on a track. So that's that's really really incredible. Um, and it's interesting that you meant that. Um, uh, oh, Amanda Armstrong on the life has just put at 104. He ran 17 miles in one hour. No, he cycled. Amanda, uh, he was on a track and he was just cycling around. So yes, yeah, 17 miles an hour, which I would struggle to do on a bike. Um, so just to clear that one up. Um, um, because it's interesting that you said there is no limit, um, but then, but you have got these, but you can't do what you used to do in um, when you were 30 or when you were 20 even, because there was a lot of doom and gloom on <laughs> in the Patreon Facebook group. Um, and all of these next three questions are kind of to do with speed. Um, and your whole book is to do with speed and performance. So I'll just kind of give a flavor of all three and then maybe we can just talk about how to not drop off a cliff with the speed. Um, so Chloe is really struggling um, with the fact that getting older means she hasn't got, um, maybe means no more PBs um, so she's she's asking how should she kind of reframe her thinking on that like maybe a season's best or because results motivate her so she's just wondering what kind of new goals she could set herself um, and uh, Catherine um, Ramsden is agreeing with her and she's saying she's slower than she was and she finds it de demoralizing um, so so it's, it is interesting um, people are kind of putting a value on themselves in terms of the speed of what they were when they were 30 rather than reframing it here um, and Nigel Barnett says um, as we age we lose our speed but do we gain endurance and stamina and mental and physical resilience um, what training would he recommend to retain the speed part of this so yeah, there's a lot of yeah. questions there, but basically they're all asking, how can I either slow my rate of, of slowing <laughs> and uh, what how, what's the best way to not lose that speed? And if I am gonna lose speed, how do I stay motivated as I get older, I suppose? Yeah, well, let's, let's there's a lot of things going on there in my head about uh, <laughs> all these possibilities. There's just, there's just a, a lot of stuff. Uh, let me narrow it down. First of all, I'll say let's let's start with the PBs idea from 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 uh, Amanda from a little bit earlier. That um, PBs are not going to be what they were when you were 20 years old. If you're now in your 50s, 60s, 70s, the PBs are not going to be nearly as as fast as they were. What I do with mine, 
I'm, I'm the same as everybody else. I want to I want to see what I'm what can, am I achieving what I can achieve. So I'm always comparing the last two years, and I, I have a, the software I use allows me to do that um, over time. It looks at 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 PBs and tells me how I'm doing this year compared to the last year for given durations, for example, we'll say. And um, and so that that kind of keeps me intact intact or uh, in tune with um, with what's happening to my body, and I can see changes taking place. It becomes very motivating. Also, if I knew last year about the same time I was able to do a certain workout, for example, uh, at a certain output, and I can match that again this year or even beat it, I consider that a victory. But I'm not going to compare myself with what I was, you know, ten years ago. Ten years ago is is when you're in your 70s is a, is really a long time ago in terms of how steep this curve becomes or how, how far down it's gone. As I mentioned, my VO2 max has gone from mid-60s to low 40s over roughly 25 years. So there's this, this downward trend always going on, and we're not going to um, reverse that more than for very short periods of time, but we can kind of like keep on track to stay as close as we could or as close as we can to what we were doing previously. So that's why I compare the last two years. Um, mine is dropping something like a, is like a, like a, a small percentage point, less than a percentage point per year. Is what mine is going down. And so if I'm knowing I'm, I'm staying even on some types of workouts, numbers I can produce, that I know that's a good sign of that I'm I'm keeping myself uh, relatively fit compared with the me that was here a, lot, a year ago, so that kind of keeps me motivated. And so then you brought up the issue of what kind of workouts should one do if one wants to maintain those PBs or or at least keep them as high as possible. And I said there were two you need to do two hard workouts a week and five easy workouts a week. The five easy workouts a week are not wasted time. That builds your aerobic fitness. Aerobic runners are aerobic athletes. That's what the sport is all about, is being aerobic. You're not anaerobic. You're not, it's not an anaerobic sport. An anaerobic sport, the event would last less than two minutes. It'd be like if you're an 800 meter runner and you could run under two minutes, that's, that's an anaerobic sport. This, what we're doing, you know, five, five kilometers, 10K, half marathon, marathons, ultras, whatever, those are very aerobic activities. Those five days a week easy are developing your aerobic system. That's what they're there for. They're not just there to waste time and, and to keep you from getting injured. That's not the idea. The idea is to build up your aerobic system, which takes lots and lots and lots of, of volume, lots of hours, lots of miles, lots of kilometers. And that's what builds it up because you're exercising when you're, like I said, if you're like a high or in zone one, low zone two, that's right around your aerobic threshold. Your aerobic threshold, when you're turning it at your aerobic threshold, you are definitely improving your, your aerobic uh, function. Your ability to process oxygen is being improved. If you waste your time by going out and doing zone three workouts, you've just moved away from your aerobic threshold. You're moving toward a combination of aerobic and anaerobic. So you're no longer just functioning work right around your aerobic threshold. You've moved up to including anaerobic activity at the same time. So you've just moved out of things that's going to improve your, your performance the best, which is aerobic training. That's why five days a week of aerobic training, two days a week of hard workouts, because if we, get you, we can get your aerobic threshold, your aerobic capacity, up quite high, your VO2 max. We can, get that, we can get that quite high just by doing those five days a week easy. But if you throw in one day a week where you do higher intensity training, you go up into the five zone with intervals, for example. You go to the track and maybe you're doing 400s or 600s or 800s on the track and they're being done at a high intensity, like zone five sort of thing. So faster than your 5K pace, a pretty fast workout, like more like a thousand meter pace, 
is what you're running. If you're doing a workout like that, that will put the icing on the cake. Those five days a week are the cake. That builds the, the foundation. That's what aerobic fitness is really all about. But we can put the icing on the cake, this little thin layer at the top, by doing one workout per week where we go at high intensity. And that is depends on the individual. I can't really tell you what's going to work for everybody, but it's going to be something which is right around your, your five zone, which is above your lactate threshold, you're starting to breathe hard. If on, on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being the hardest, this is about a little higher than a seven. So you're pushing yourself pretty good, seven, eight, nine. So you're pushing yourself pretty hard. That will improve your VO2 max and put the icing on the cake. But if you don't have a cake, if all you do is like my coach used to have us do back in the, when I was you know in college, all we were doing is putting icing on the plate. There was no cake there, just a plate, and we were putting icing on all the time. <laughs> we didn't really improve our aerobic, our aerobic systems at all. It just was something to, because it was hard, we thought that was good. That's not the way it is. Easy is also very good. We don't do that enough. So that's one of those hard workouts a week. The other hard workout a week I'd suggest is to improve one of the other aspects of your fitness. VO2 max is one aspect of your fitness. Another very important aspect of your fitness is your lactate threshold. So on that zero to 10 scale, now we're talking about like six or seven intensity. On a scale of zero to 10, 10 being as hard as you can go, you can say I'm going, I'm going as hard as I can go right now, it's a 10, or I'm sleeping, that's a zero. You've got the scale. The other workout would be something like training in zone six and seven in that in that scale of zero to 10, which if heart rate zone we're talking about, something like zones, upper zone three, zone four. So it's below the threshold, but just barely below the threshold. So you're working hard, but now you can hold it for a much longer period of time. Instead of just going for a thousand meters or 800 meters or 600 meter intervals, now you can go out and you can do one mile repeats, mile and a half repeats. So you can do these longer intervals and that will boost your lactate threshold, your ability to hold a very, relatively high intensity for a relatively long time. That combination twice a week plus five days easy will really do a great job of making you a very, very good athlete regardless of your age. I would, I would have athletes in their 20s do the same thing because it's still the same idea. All, all we're changing is we're going, I'm, not, I'm just simply not going as fast as I was when I was in my 20s, but I can still do the same types of workouts. Those five and two is a good balance for, for getting yourself into great shape, uh, regardless of age. Yeah, so the zone one or zone five, six, should zone three be completely avoided then, that middle kind of no, no man's land? Do you reckon just don't even bother training in that zone? Yeah, we're, we're, trying, we're trying to avoid zone three. We're trying to avoid that. Unfortunately, that's where most athletes wind up when they do workouts. They go out for an easy workout and they do it with, typically with a friend. And the, let's make it an easy workout. It winds up being a zone three workout. And it's not easy at all. It's moderately hard is what it is. And it doesn't do it really as much as you could have benefited from had you done zones one and two. That, that's the aerobic system. Then, because you did a zone three, and tomorrow's going to be one of those two hard days, now you're just a little bit tired because you did a zone three workout, moderately hard workout. So you go to your, your hard workout, and now because you're a little bit tired, it's not as good as it could have been, so it becomes a lower uh, performance workout than what it was supposed to be. And so you don't reap the benefits. You're just waiting. Basically, you're wasting a lot of time. It feels hard when you're in zone three, but it's not hard enough or it's too hard. So we're trying to avoid that. Most people focus on getting there. I would suggest trying to stay away from there, make it easier than or harder than. Yeah, great, that's great advice. I think that's cleared something up for a lot of people. Um, so thank you for that. Um, um, so 
So it obviously works like five days easy, two days really hard. The science backs it up for all ages, all abilities. It's fantastic. But you can't get away from the fact that you will be slower when you're older. Um, so do you have any advice around um, the kind of mental side of it, kind of not finding it too demoralizing um, that you're not still hitting your same PBs as you were in your 20s and 30s? How do you start to reframe your kind of running goals, I suppose? Yeah, uh, well, I, I mentioned before, what I, what I do is I look at what's been going on for two years. And the software I use keeps all these charts and graphs, and I can compare, you know, easily. I can overlay the graphs, you know, so I can see what I was doing, what was my best one-hour performance a year ago compared to my best one-hour performance this year, my best uh, 90 minutes compared to the last year, my best one hour, my best 30 minutes, my best 20 minutes, my best five minutes, and so forth. So I can look at all these numbers comparing the last two years, and that always gives me a, a feeling of accomplishment because I am making improvements in some cases. It allows me, it, it causes me to become more focused. Mm -hmm. It causes me to realize, okay, there's a gap between where I am now, let's say 20 minutes, and where I was a year ago, 20 minutes. A year ago, 20 minutes, I, had, I was 2% better than I am right now. So let's focus on 20 minutes. Let's bring it back up where the others are. You know, I'm at five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 60 minutes. I'm really very close to where I was before. I'm right on, in fact, in some cases a little bit better, but I'm hurting right now 20 minutes. So let's start churning them for 20 minute efforts. So what does that mean? Well, that means this lactate threshold stuff I mentioned a while ago, churning around uh, zone four, uh, that effort of around, of around six or seven on the 10 scale, that focuses on that 20 minute effort. So that's, that's like running a 5K sort of thing. You know, yeah. so I can focus on 5K effort to raise that back up. And I, I can see it start to come back up because we become more focused on it. Consequently, I'm always comparing where I am now compared to where I was a year ago and trying to make sure that I'm not allowing gaps to, to occur anyplace. So that for me becomes a very, very um, motivating way and, and focus, focus way of training. So I know what do I need to work on because it's worse than it was a year ago. Where am I doing better than I was a year ago? So it, it's very rewarding, but it's also very good for feedback in terms of knowing what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, so no looking backwards to this 20s and 30s business, just look at the past year, past two years, and go from there. Yeah, so no looking back too far, people. <laughs> um, right. So, um, right, Arlene says uh, she's turning 62 in a few weeks and she slowed down quite a bit, but she finds she can still run the distances. So, and even longer than she used to actually. And so she's noticed a lot of us older people at ultra races and she wants to know, is that normal or are we just all old and crazy? Um, she still likes to run in trail races, um, but she's found that sometimes she can barely make the cutoff times in many of them. So she wants mm. to know if you have any advice on avoiding DNFs, but just because of not meeting those time cutoffs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that can be a real challenge. Um, I've coached people who who are really at that at that particular level in their career in sport that the cutoff was becoming the uh, the focus of training. That we had to make the cutoff, uh, and so what we had to look at in every case was what exactly is the reason why they're having a hard time making the cutoff, and there are. There really are, you know, there's lots of reasons. We can boil it all down to three things. I've already talked about two of them. VO2 max, lactate threshold. The third one we haven't talked about is economy, which means how much energy do you waste as you run. And so I, I, as, if I was the coach, I'd be trying to look at what of these, which of these three things is, is holding us back from becoming, from being able to maintain a fast enough performance to be able to meet the cutoff. And then I would work to, to I'd get focused on that thing and go about improving it. That coming up with that thing is not really easy to do. That that is that's why coaches have jobs is because they can they know how to focus in on, on things that are, are needed, how to measure these things, how to know what is the cause of the problem, and then be able to correct it with, with correct training. 
So, and I can't go through all the details with you because it's really physiology. It would become very boring after a while. But basically, I would suggest one of the best things the person could do if they're if they're self-coached is a hire coach to find somebody who knows what they're doing, working with aging athletes, and can help you uh, figure out these things that are going to improve your performance. And coaches, this is what coaches are all about. Is coaches are really that's their job is to try to figure out how does this this client of mine, this individual, how do we get this individual to the level they want to be at? How do I do that? And answering that question is a gigantic process to go through, but that's what coaches, good coaches are all about. Don't just take any coach, ask questions. Find out coaches who have had uh, older athletes they've coached, especially older athletes who have become successful their coaching that's what you want to find is the coach who knows how to coach people of your age group if you can find that person then you're on the road to the performance you want now I hate to tell you this but it's not going to be free uh, it's going to cost something and you have to decide how bad how badly do you want this are you willing to pay the coach the fee the coach asks in order to get the results they want and I can't answer that question for you that has to be your answer to your question you either do that or to answer that question you have to do lots of research start reading research spend lots of time online reading about how this is done physiologically and then figure out how you can apply that to your lifestyle and your training which is a gigantic task that can take years <laughs> to do I've been doing it now for, for since the 1980s have been reading research and all this stuff still do to this day and uh, it's a never-ending process because you're, you'll be overwhelmed with information so the best thing to do is hire a coach yeah or first buy the book <laughs> oh, there you go. and then if you still haven't got it after reading all of this amazing information um, then hire a coach as well um, I think everyone probably wants to know who coaches that 104 year old man is that is that he's he one of yours Joe <laughs> No, not one of mine. He, he was coached by uh, some sports scientists, and I forgot which university they were at, but uh, I, I don't recall the details now where they're from. But they took they took him under their wing, if you will, and because he wanted to break the record again when he's when he aged up, and so they took it on as a challenge to themselves. Could they apply what they learned as scientists? to this aging athlete, extremely aged athlete, and be able to make improvement, and they did. So it can be done. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing story. If anybody's just arriving to the live chat, then definitely rewind through here and, re and listen to Joe's story about this 104-year-old man that adopted the 80-20 training method and beat his time for when he was 100. So just proves that this science stuff really works. Um, so on to some power. Um, now, uh, John Moisey is obviously familiar with you, Joe, because he says, wow, he's quite the lad, is Joe Friel. Um, I'd like to hear his opinion on the use of power metrics in running. Um, so he's talking about like, uh, you know, the things that you can get on training peaks, like um, training, stress, scoring, TSS, um, versus other metrics such as pace or heart rate. Um, which does he recommend that we should pay more heed to in assessing performance when using the likes of training peaks? Yeah, um, I would recommend that you use three metrics, three measurements of what you're doing in your workouts and your racing. One of those is what you're all familiar with already, which is pace. How fast am I running? Just based on you know minutes per mile or per kilometer, however you think about it. Um, the second one that you can use is is heart rate. Um, you know what is your heart telling you your workout is? And the third one you can use is power meters. Uh, the most common power meter right now for runners is called Skype. S K Y P E. Yeah, it's a simple device that's a, that you can attach to your shoe and and uh, it measures, it actually estimates power based on certain uh, formulas. It's not actually measuring power, it's estimating power. It's a little bit different than a power meter on a bike, which actually is measuring power, so it's a little bit different. But the concept is the same, but still not exactly as easy as, as it 
is on a, on a bike, bike you can only, only produce power in one direction, and that's straight ahead. Um, there's no bouncing when you're on a bicycle, so there's no vertical oscillation going on. When you run, there is vertical oscillation, so you've got power being produced in this direction, and you've also got power being produced in this direction when you run, it's vertical oscillation. Your center of gravity goes up and down as you run, and that every time it goes up, there's a power power required to cause that to happen, but that power is not making you any closer to the finish line. It's simply allowing you to move, because that's the way humans are built. And so we have to have this little oscillation going on, but it takes power to do it. There's also, as we run, a little bit of this going on, from side to side, which you don't have in a bicycle either. So bicycle power is very simple. It's straight ahead. Anytime your power increases, that's good. Anytime your power goes down, that's bad. In running, not always the case. In running, if you've got a power meter that's talking about like a Skype, and your power goes up from what it has been, maybe uh, six weeks ago or something, your power is now higher, we don't know if that's good or bad. Because maybe what you're doing is ver doing more vertical oscillation. You're simply going up and down more as opposed to going horizontally faster. So we want to know how fast you're going, and we also want to know what the power is you're, that's being required to do this with all these movements going on. And so this power meter can help you do that. And probably the best thing we can learn from power meter is, remember I mentioned there were three things that measure fitness, VO2 max, lactate threshold, and economy. Power meter for running is a great measure of economy. It'll tell you how much energy is being expended. So that's called kilojoules, and I'm not going to go into all the details on this, it gets really deep after a while in numbers, but it tells you how much energy is being expended, and um, if we know that, if you ran a certain pace, let's say you ran a mile on the track, and you ran it at eight minutes per mile today, we can find out at eight minutes per mile, by using a power meter, what was the energy you, you expended to make you go at eight minute per mile pace. Then you come back six weeks later and you do it again. You run a mile on the track and you run at eight minute pace. And now we look to see how much power it took to get you around the track at eight minute pace for a mile. If that power went down, you're more economical now than you were before. It's kind of like your car is getting more miles per gallon or kilometers per uh, liter. Um, so it's the same idea. And that's good. That means one of the three things improved in your fitness. Your economy got better. Now, so there's lots of things going on here. So it, again, it, it kind of gets complex after a while. I would suggest if you want to, if you want to look at power uh, for running, that you pick up Jim Vance's book. Um, it's called uh, Running with Power. Uh, it's a book he wrote probably four years ago when power was just becoming common, and uh, that would be the best book you could read, and he goes into the details of all this stuff, and you're in for trying to learn a lot of things if you have a power meter for running, which you don't have to worry about with a power meter on your bike, just because it's more complex, but a good tool. It's good for measuring how you're doing. That's really good advice, Joe. I've just um, screen grabbed a picture of Run With Power, um, the complete guide to power meters for running by Jim Vance, because um, I know a lot of people are interested um, in that. Um, I think we have um, one like that in the UK called Stride, um, S-T-R-Y-D, yeah, S-T-R-Y-D, it's called Stride over here. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's called the same thing in the U.S. So okay. Did I, yeah, I may have given you the wrong name. Did oh, I call it Skype or something? Yeah, like yeah, it's because we're on it's Skype not. now. <laughs> it's Stride. Sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. That'd be confusing. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, if if I was the same age as you, I'd call it a senior moment, but I can't be a cheeky young whippersnapper and say that. <laughs> um, so that's fantastic. But, um, yeah, so get the get Jim's book as well. Uh, I'll link to that in the show notes as well. So get there's two books for everybody to buy here tonight. Um, so yeah, so the power stuff is really interesting. Um, and um, somebody else is just talking about here, Kurt Steed, he wants to, just a bit of information about heart rate, because um, he finds it's not a great indicator for him in the heat. Um, 
is there have you got any suggestions on how to temper this for trails and heat so i suppose maybe he could use a stride <laughs> well yeah heart rate is not a great way of uh it's not perfect let's put it that way it's not great it's good it's good information but hot weather will certainly make your heart rate be higher relative to the pace you're running at we always want to talk about relative to something because heart rate compared with heart rate doesn't tell you anything it's got to be heart rate compared with pace what am i doing now with my heart rate today at this given pace versus what it was six weeks ago at the same pace and the only difference is it's hotter today heart rate will be higher yeah so that that's that's challenging uh, heart rate is telling us what's going on with our body which is nice that's good feedback what's going on in here that power meter doesn't tell us that power meter doesn't tell us what's going on in here it tells us what your performance is what you're achieving heart rate is telling you what the effort is how hard are you working that's the difference between those two so it's good to know both if you know if you know power or pace or speed you know performance if you know heart rate you know effort whenever we have those two things whenever we have power or whether whatever we have um, um, performance we can call that output how much what was the output for my for my race what was my output well my output was I ran at 730 per mile for 10k whatever it may be that would be my output well, what was my input? Well, my input was the heart rate. My heart rate, this is what my body was doing to produce the 7.30 per mile. It took a heart rate of 160 on average for the entire 10K to achieve that pace. So whenever I have these two things, I've got, if I've got output and I've got input, I have something called efficiency. Whenever you divide output by input, you wind up with what the efficiency was of the user. If I owned a business, manufacturing company, I made widgets, I could, I could produce, how many widgets can I produce a day? Uh, that would be my output. And my input would be, what was my cost of producing those, that X number of widgets? I can divide number of widgets by the cost, and I know now the price per widget, my cost per widget. It's exactly the same thing with my body as, an, as a runner. If I know my output, my pace, or my power, and I know my input, which is my heart rate, I can divide one by the other, and I know how efficient I am. And what you'd like to see is your efficiency going up. I'd like to be able to, be able to produce a lower price for the same number of widgets that I, that I can create in a day. Get my price down and increase my output. That's exactly what a runner is trying to do. We're trying to get exactly that same thing. But the thing that screws us up is, is things like heat screws up the heart rate, so it's hard to compare a cool day with a, with a hot day. It's just not going to work. You can't do it. Um, nutrition screws it up. The, what, what you've eaten in the last 12 hours or so can have effect on your heart rate. For example, caffeine could have a, could have a big effect on your heart rate in the last couple of hours before a workout or a race. Uh, your emotions, if you had um, an argument with your spouse or with your boss, uh, or if you had uh, a financial situation that came up, these things will all affect your heart rate also. So heart rate is not perfect, but nothing is perfect. Power isn't perfect, heart rate's not perfect. Nothing is perfect. So we just have to kind of learn to deal with all these things and realize their imperfections when we try to compare them. We can't compare always apples to apples because sometimes the apple is hot. <laughs> it's not gonna be exactly the same as a cool apple. So you just have to know these things and realize that you want to, if you want to have a hot day for a race and you want to compare it to something you've done before, look at the same race on a hot day, not what a workout was like at the same pace on a cool day. That's just not going to tell you anything at all. So it's not easy. Yeah. Uh, training is not the easiest thing there is <laughs> to do. There's lots of, you know, what ifs and how comes and why fours and all this sort of stuff you got to factor in, unfortunately. 
Yeah, and not just using one thing as well. That's what I'm getting from this talk is uh, using a lot of different variables to measure um, and measuring it over a long time frame and not just taking like a tiny screenshot of just one day because it might have had uh, some different variables going on there. Um, there's lots of um, there's lots of love for you here, um, Joe, on on the ch on the live chat. So um, Michael Bartlett says, great content. Love this guy and how he articulates his wisdom on running past fifty. Um, and Alan Lockhart agrees. He says, yes, excellent content, perfect for me. I have been doing my training all wrong. It's so counterintuitive <laughs> to take it easy, but I will try to adjust. <laughs> um, Good for you. <laughs> and Chris Williams says, I don't. I don't do a lot of running, but I am finding this extremely interesting. <laughs> um, and then Kurt Steed says, argument with spouse slash boss, is there a difference? <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so uh, I just wanted to just pick up on the next point, which is um, core strength. And then there's one final question, um, just about some like injury and recovery times. So John Airy says, as well as running every day, good on you, John, um, I am concentrating on core strength. Um, does Joe have any good tips for attaining core strength? Because there's quite a few people on the live going, like, for example, Adrian Orange, who says, um, he is 66 and he can manage four days of running a week so i'm guessing when you say you're running what well, you're doing exercise for five days easy and then two days hard like you're not necessarily saying you have to run for seven days um no. or yeah so some of this day is rest stuff walking core yeah. that kind of stuff so well, day off you know day yeah. off is also it's also good yeah yeah so, so john's question about about core Kind of leads us into another topic which let me take you there and then i'll come back and tell you that how this relates to what he's talking about as we get older one of the things that happens is we lose muscle mass it's obvious look at old people you know, my age people <laughs> look at old people what you'll see is they they're losing muscle mass you know they may have maintained the same body weight over a period of 10 or 20 years but that simply means they've lost muscle and they've gained fat. Uh, that's a common thing that happens as we get older. We gotta, we've got to get a balance going between these two things. One of the things we need to be doing as we get older is to become very focused on strength. Maintaining muscle mass. Extremely important. Much more important, important as you get older than it is when you're young. If you're 20 years old, you don't need to worry about doing strength workouts. You're 60 years old, you need to be doing strength workouts. And that includes core. So we need to be working on building the big muscles in our bodies, especially the muscles that propel us in the sport. So I would suggest, when I would coach runners, for example, we would do, for example, we would do something that I call hip knee ankle extension exercises on a regular basis, plus some other exercises, including core. But that would be something like squats, step-ups, lunges, these types of exercises where you're, you're causing your hip, knee, and your ankle to all extend at the same time. So sitting down on a chair and using that exercise where your knees go up like this, your feet go back and forth, is no good. Waste of time. You need something where these big muscles are all being used at the same time. So three joints, hip, knee, and ankle, all being exercised at the same time like in a squat or a step up or a lunge that now is the exercise that builds the strength that can help you become a better runner your leg the making that movement that extension of those three joints at the same time is what running is all about if you're weak in any of the muscles that have to do with those three joints you are never going to be a good runner I don't care what you do you'll never be good because you're too weak so we need to build that muscle mass as being lost as you get older. If you did nothing more than stand in front of a chair and sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, stand up, and do it a dozen times in a workout, a couple of times a week, that would be a great way to start. If you've got access to a gym and you can use machines or weights or whatever, that's also very, very good. Core exercise is a part of this. Core has a lot to do with, for a runner, with what their, how their body moves, uh, especially as they're pushing off the ground. 
as that rear foot pushes off the ground, if you've got core, poor core strength, your hips will show it. There'll be a movement, a lateral movement where your hips will rotate because you're pushing and the core is not strong enough to maintain this, this posture in your hips. They'll, they'll rotate back and forth like this excessively because you're just too, too weak. And that means you're, just, you're, you're not going to be a strong runner. So yes, core strength is very important, but, but even beyond that, strength is important, especially as we get older. Fantastic. Well, everybody is going to leave this chat and they're going to go and do a strength workout, I'm sure. I'm, I'm going to go for a walk after this as well because I'm just really inspired by what you've been saying. Um, so uh, we've just got a final question here from Vic. Um, and he says, in Joe's experience, does the risk of injury increase with age or can those age 60 plus still achieve good pace and endurance by building in lots of recovery between heavier efforts? After all, 60 is the new 40, right? Yeah, there, there's, there certainly is a, a greater propensity to become injured as you get older compared to when you were a young athlete. Uh, young athletes can make lots of mistakes. They can really mess everything up and still come out okay on the other end. The older you get, the fewer mistakes you can make in training. This is just one example of that. There are other examples like diet, for example. As you get older, diet becomes more important. When you're 20 years old, you can eat all the junk food you want, and you can still go out and run a great marathon. You're 65 years old, you just can't do that anymore. You've got to make sure you're eating the right stuff. The same goes for, for this topic. You know, um, you can't do all exactly the same stuff you did when you were young. I can't do the five workouts a week till I throw up, in part because I, I, I'm i going to get injured if I try to do it. And my body just won't maintain. I can't do that. My body will not allow me to do that. But the biggest reason I think most athletes get injured, most runners get injured, is because they're impatient. If I tell an athlete the ultimate workout you can do to improve your VO2 max is five times three minutes at zone five heart rate with one and a half minute recoveries. If I tell a group of athletes that's the ultimate workout to do, I'll guarantee you about 80% of them will go out tomorrow and do five times three minutes at zone five with a minute and a half recoveries. They've never done anything like that before in their life, and now they're doing it for the first time, and it's the, it's the ultimate. It's the highest level of performance. And they decide to do that off the bat, and lo and behold, they get a, an Achilles tendon hurts, or their knee bothers them, or whatever it may be. That's because they're not patient enough. If I was coaching an athlete, and I wanted to eventually get them to do five times three minutes, and the athlete's 60 years old, what I would start out with doing is two times 30 seconds. And I would take a minute between those two to rest. 30 seconds, you warm up, 30 seconds hard, one minute walking around, 30 seconds hard and cool down. That would be the workout. And over the next several months, I would gradually build up to the point they could do five times three minutes. And what would happen is their body would adapt, Achilles, muscles, joints, all these things would gradually adapt over time. But if you haven't got patience, if you want it to happen immediately, it's not going to work. Your body is not going to be ready to do it immediately. You've got to be patient. You've got to be patient. Yeah, that's definitely good advice. Um, and and I'm, I'm surprised, just to totally segue the conversation here, I'm surprised nobody's asked about the menopause, um, just quickly. I think maybe it's because there's mainly men watching just now live. Um, but yeah, I'm just there is a section I did check in your book, there's a whole section on the menopause. But um, just for any ladies watching later, um, is there just like a quick nutshell sort of piece of advice you could give to anybody going through the menopause or, or um, training um, who's uh, finding things difficult because of the menopause, Joe? Do you coach any ladies yeah. in that area? I'm probably not the best person to talk this topic. Uh, my, my, my wife is here. She'd be much better at this than me. <laughs> Quick, there, bring her in. <laughs> well, she's unfortunately, she's gone today. Uh, what I would suggest is that there, there's a book out there. I'm just now trying to get my, my head to, to recall what the name of the title of the book. Oh, the title of the book is Roar. R-O-A-R. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I, I would highly recommend that every woman who's an athlete read that book. Mm -hmm. She goes into all kinds of details about being a, a female athlete. And this is one of those topics, menopause. Yes. Um, she, this is far better than having somebody like me, a male, talk about a topic which we've never experienced and never will experience. But it's the sort of thing that she's 
she's a she's a scientist, she's a researcher, she's an athlete, and she talks about this book, or in this book, in great detail about how you as an athlete, female athlete, can do be doing the right things in your training. So highly recommend that book as opposed to listening to me talk about anything along that line at all. Brilliant. I love that answer, Joe. I really do. Um, that I've just found it online. It's Stacy Sims, um, yeah. uh, and it's how to match your food and fitness to your to female psychology uh, physiology for optimum performance, great health, and a strong lean body for life. So um, I've just put a picture up, and I'll link to it in the show notes below as well. So that's a great advice. Thank you so much for that, Joe. Um, and that is that's great. Um, I've asked you all the questions now that everybody has sent in prior um, as patrons. Um, so the only thing that is left is to just um, thank you, Joe, for coming on and just giving us so much of your time tonight. I really do appreciate it. Um, and I know that everybody on the live chat is just, they've just been like mind blown, like, oh my goodness, I've got to do more easy stuff. I'm sure everybody's going, yay. <laughs> um, but it, it's just been fantastic to hear, hear it from just such a well qualified person and coach um, so everybody get Joe's book um, and the other books that he mentioned as well I'll link to in the video description and the show notes as well um, so yeah thanks so much Joe it's been great to chat to you well thank you Clara and, and good luck to everybody out there who's listening in to, on this conversation um, good luck to you and all the best for your for your performances going forward I hope to see you at the races someday Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes. I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write wild ginger running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails.